Let's uh, bow together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you again for the privilege you've given us to uh, worship you together. And Lord, thank you for the privilege we have to be in your word. I pray that you would uh, use it greatly, cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son, in love for you and for love for your people. So we thank you for this morning. Commit it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've truly been saved by his grace, if you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then we realize that there's going to be trouble in this world, that uh, we will enter into difficulties. Uh, The Lord Jesus himself talked about the fact that you can't follow him unless you deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow him. Uh, there's difficulty even in denying ourselves. We have these bodies of flesh. We have our own desires. Uh, we have this battle going on to say no to ourselves and yes to Christ. And yet there are other difficulties too for us as believers. There are sufferings uh, for the glories to follow. The Lord Jesus made it very clear that if the world hates you, that you should know that it hated me before it hated you, he says in John 15. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Well, it's very interesting. Those who persecuted the Lord Jesus Christ would be those who were religious. Uh, Those who he would be saying here are of the world. He would share in John chapter 8 that they were of their father, the devil, And the reality is that often our persecution comes from within those who would name the name of the Lord. Uh, We certainly see uh, the people of Israel uh, in unison crying, crucify him. Um, And so the Lord Jesus made it clear, hey, if they're going to persecute me, and they do, then they're going to persecute you. The Apostle Paul said, indeed, those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. And in the midst of that, a lot of that persecution, like the Lord would share in Matthew chapter 5, can be verbal persecution, insults and all things, kinds of things falsely on account of me. It can be difficulty within families where there are those who are uh, believers and those who are not. Uh, There's difficulties. We are living in the context of the sufferings for the glories to follow. And sometimes it can be discouraging. It can be discouraging to suffer so much and to have uh, so much uh, uh, relational difficulty because of the division between those who are the Lord's and those who are not. And so within that, how can we endure in the midst of such great temptation in the midst of this suffering? How can we do so? Well, today we continue our our break from having finished our Second Thessalonians um, be praying for me. I'm looking at all kinds of different books, studying Ecclesiastes, Numbers, Second Timothy, all kinds of different ones. So pray for, there's, it's all wonderful, and I know where we land it'll be wonderful. So just pray for the book that the Lord would have us uh, uh, do together. But I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9, where we're going to see we need to listen to him, the King of glory, okay? I think we're going to find out all of our problems are we really don't listen to him at times. We listen to our own wisdom and desires or whatever it might be rather than to the Lord through his word, as we'll say. 
Now, the context of the book of Matthew, I've shared this for other passages we've looked at in Matthew, but we have King Jesus. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is God in human flesh who came to his own, who were sitting in darkness. And the people saw a great life. The truth was manifest concerning their sinfulness and salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet we see they rejected him. We see even after two and a half years, the hardened hearts and the closed eyes of the people, of the multitudes, an evil and adulterous generation, spiritually adulterous, going after uh, uh, the God of their false views rather than the God who was in their presence, the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that, uh, having shared that they were an evil and adulterous generation, we also saw the religious leaders who hated Christ trying to destroy him. And so the Lord withdrew from the multitudes and began really focusing on training his disciples. And indeed, in chapter 16, after, after we have a turning point here where after revealing the wonderful truths concerning the nature of the church, which is only revealed here in Matthew chapter 16, the Lord then turns his attention to his disciples to share a very important truth that specifically from this point on he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things in the hands of the religious rulers and die and be raised on the third day. It's from this point, even, even throughout his teaching, he is focused on the cross and what he is going to do for us. And then we saw Peter who, who, who declared uh, rightly about, about the, the Son of God go from blessed to satanic in a blink of the eye. Indeed, he relied on his own understanding and desire rather than the truth of the word which the Lord had shared with him. And the Lord had to rebuke him. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. You might remember Peter said, hey, may it never be in a sense, don't you go to the cross and die. And Peter had to be rebuked by the Lord because he was speaking from his own desires rather than by the will of God. And so then... Uh, we see that we need to be careful. We need to pay close attention to God's word, to what he says, or we can be satanically used in, also in a sense. So now Matthew uh, reveals uh, at this point what to expect through the Lord Jesus declaring, and I mentioned it earlier, what to expect when you follow Jesus. He talks about if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself. That means to say no to self. Take up your cross. Your, your, your old life is dead and follow me. And he talks about whoever would, who, who loves this life is going to lose it. You know, for what profit should, should it be if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? And the reality that ultimately those who keep their sinful lives will be judged when Christ comes in glory. And that leads to what we're going to see today. Now, I want to read the verse in chapter 16 that ends the the passage first, because it does connect, uh, verse 28 into our passage, okay? Verse 28 of chapter 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. 
While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And so then we come to a passage today which we have named the Transfiguration, and certainly there is that happening here, but I think there's more to it than that. And it's important to know that this passage is also relayed in Luke chapter 9 and Mark chapter 9, and we'll be going to to Luke and Mark also. Now, why do we have this portion, and, and why is it so important to understand the context? I believe it's because the Lord is wanting to encourage those who are going to go through such terrible suffering, maybe even to death. Uh, they're, they're denying themselves, they're taking up their cross, uh, and he says earlier, some will not see death, which implies they're going to see death, until they see um, him in his glory. He wants to encourage us. You see, The Jesus that we see in the Gospels is a Jesus who was only seen by his humanity, um, as we see, but also the Spirit of God working the miraculous through him and his word coming forth. But they didn't see him in his physical glory as God, as we'll say. And so we need to understand and recognize the God that we follow is the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we've got to get a better picture of who we are following, and that will encourage us in the midst of the difficulties. So how are we to do so? How are we to be encouraged in the midst of difficulties? First, we must truly remember we're following the King of glory. This is the one we're following. This is the one who has saved us. And then we have our passage. And six days later, Jesus took up with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to a high mountain, and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun his garments became white as light and behold moses and elijah appeared to them talking with him now to understand this fully we do need to remember the context we need to remember that what was said and i read this earlier verse 28 of chapter 16 where jesus said truly to his disciples i say to you there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom they're not going to die until they see christ coming in his kingdom now this verse has been wrongly interpreted by a lot of people Uh, There's a whole group of people who have a doctrine that because of this verse, Christ has already come. They would say, oh, they've died, so he must have come before that. But they don't understand what he's saying here. You have those who have a theology of the coming of Christ already, and you see uh, this wrong theology because they misinterpret this verse you got to keep reading. And that's, you know, so many misinterpretations are based on people sharing one verse and adding into it and twisting it and ripping it from its context and the context of the rest of the scriptures. And that's what they do here. Because as we're going to see, he's not saying that the Son of Man is going to come in his glory. He's saying there's some here who are, as you'll see, not taste death until they see him coming in his kingdom. We're going to see exactly what that means.
Now, you might remember what was happening back in chapter 16. Let's look back a little bit. And I've mentioned this a couple times now, but now I'm going to read the passage. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever wishes to lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what Will it profit him, will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And then notice the four here. Four, he's explaining in its relationship to the one losing his soul, by the way. Four, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will recompense every man according to his deeds. If you gain it all and you lose your soul, Christ is coming in glory to judge and to recompense, okay? That's the context. And then he says at that point, truly, verse 20, 28, there are some of those standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, okay? And so with that in mind, we come into, and if we didn't have chapter 17, we'd be confused, wouldn't we, right? But we have chapter 17 because it continues to explain and help us understand you see, I believe Jesus is saying in 16, you might suffer all the way to death. And there's some of you here who will suffer. You will die. But specifically, there are a couple of you who will see, who will not die before they see me, uh, come, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And all this points to chapter 17 here. And that's what we're going to see here. The, Luke, the, the book of Luke, Luke says in chapter 9:27. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of you standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. You're going to see the kingdom of God as it is. You're going to see something. You're going to see something. Now, uh, Peter in Second Peter chapter one makes it really clear about what's going on that this is not the second coming of Christ. He makes it very clear. Second Peter chapter one or one, let's turn it to verse thirteen. He's referring to this specific portion we've read about and we'll look at in a minute in chapter seventeen. Second Peter chapter one, verse thirteen. He says, And I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Amen, right? Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, and also our Lord as also our Lord Jesus has made it clear to me. And I will be diligent that at any time after my departure you may be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying. But we were witnesses of his majesty. Here's some help here. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard the utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. He said, yes, we saw his coming, but this isn't the coming that he's talking about later on in chapter 3. Yes, he came in a sense revealing his glory in advance. In advance. The second coming hasn't happened Yet, And so then we have these uh, statements from these passages that lead up to what I believe chapter 17 is a preview 
of the of King Jesus in his glory, what he will appear and look like when he comes in his kingdom glory. And for a moment in time, he gives Peter, James, and John the tremendous privilege of seeing him in advance. What a glorious privilege. And knowing from heaven, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. You see, sometimes we need you know, we haven't seen his glory yet, have we? I haven't even seen him physically, have you? Peter, James, and John did, you know. But we need to be encouraged. And through the eyes of faith in Scripture, we're going to see him in his glory. We serve the Lord of glory. We serve the Lord of glory. So then, back to our passage, a wonderful preview here. Verse 1, And six days later, Jesus took him with him, Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain. Jesus and his disciples were in Caesarea Philippi, and it's an area of northwest Galilee, and Jesus is now on his way to Jerusalem via Capernaum, and now although the people think they know where this mountain is, a lot of people say, hey, we know exactly where this mountain is. We don't know where this mountain is. It just says he took them to a high mountain, but it's on the way there somewhere on the way to Jerusalem. But the text doesn't tell us where it is. So Jesus takes these three prominent yet equal among the disciples uh, to the mountain, and he only brings three. Now, our text, we need to address another issue before we get into it. In our passage, it says six days, and in Luke, it says eight days. What's up with that, right? Well, we know that God's word is true. We know that it is without error. And so, yet this has brought unbelieving scholars to to mock the word and truthfulness of the scriptures. But the word is absolutely accurate. Because if you look at Luke 9.28, he says, And some eight days after these things. The word translated some here in the NASB speaks of about, nearly. It speaks of not exactness, but approximateness. And it's most likely that Matthew was speaking of full Jewish days. Luke was speaking of partial days, modifying the word saying about or approximately. So it makes absolute sense when you add that up that it's exactly the same time that this happens. Uh, the same event is being happening in Luke also. And so we have these three prominent yet equal disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus brings them to uh, um, the mountain here. Uh, and it checks us by themselves. Now, our text doesn't tell us what Jesus was doing, but Luke does. Turn to Luke chapter, um, Luke chapter nine, Luke chapter nine, verse twenty-eight. Luke nine twenty-eight. And some eight days after these sayings, it came about that he took along Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to do what? To pray. To pray. That's what it says, Luke 9.28. Now, keep your finger in Luke, because we're going to go back and forth from our passage in Matthew. But he went to the mountain to pray. He went to the mountain to pray. And so, they go to the mountain to pray. In our passage, notice his glory is revealed. Back in Matthew, we're going to go back and forth. And six days after, Jesus took with him uh, James, Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to a, up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. Now go back to our passage in Luke, and we see some more details about this. Passage in Luke 9.28 again. And some eight days after these sayings, 
it came about that he took along Peter, James, and John and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who were appear, who, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That's what they're talking about. Okay? Now, Peter and his companions had been what? Overcome by sleep. That sounds familiar, right? So Jesus is praying, and he, he is transfigured in the midst of his prayer, and we have uh, Moses and Elijah speaking to him about what's going to happen in Jerusalem, the cross, and his, his death and burial and resurrection. And it says there, it says that, but it says, now Peter's companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and two men standing with him. Isn't this amazing? Amazing passage. And so we see that they saw his glory. Verse, uh, middle of verse 32. They saw his glory. This is what this is about. They saw the glory of Christ. That's what's going on here. Jesus is praying. They fell asleep. Uh, and he is changed before them and transfigured. And his face shone like the sun. And his garments became white as light. The term transfigured here comes from the Greek word metamorpho, which speaks of transformation or transfiguration. Jesus was in his humanity before them, but at this point he was transformed to see his glory. His glory was revealed, his kingdom glory. And interesting, it's the same word used, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but transformed or transfigured in a sense. Have your hearts transfigured, your minds transfigured with the word of God, right? Okay. And so here we have him transfigured before them. You see, for 33 years up to this point, all the people saw was the humanity of Christ. That's all they saw. He was a carpenter. There was nothing special about him physically speaking. We see that in Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, speaking of Christ, grew up before him, speaking of the Father, like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor an appearance which we should be attracted to him. He wasn't a good-looking specimen of the human race that people would look at him and go, wow, let's follow him. It wasn't the case. And so here, for the first time and the only time before the cross and, and, and then the resurrection, we have uh, Jesus Christ remove the veil in a sense, and his disciples saw clearly his glory revealing he is God. They saw his glory, okay? And Jesus before them uh, had revealed his glory uh, through his actions, right? First John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was, word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we have later on in John 1, it says, verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. That wasn't his physical glory. They beheld his grace and truth, you see. And they see that? They beheld that element of his glory. Glory is of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. But here, his physical glory is being revealed. His physical glory is being revealed. And so here, uh, it says, his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. 
Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 3 says, His garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. That is some laundry detergent, right? <laughs> it is as white as light, right? And so then they have Christ in his glory in their presence. This is encouraging. The Jesus you are following, who has now been telling you he's going to die, is showing you who he is. And we need to know that in the midst of the difficulties that we suffer for when we follow Jesus Christ. We need to have a glimpse of him in his glory from his word, okay? And so here, he wants to encourage them, I believe. And so he took them up with him, and we have this transformation, this transfiguration. Now, we can certainly forget at times really who Jesus is, practically speaking. We know who he is. We know the doctor. We know the truth. But practically speaking, we can forget who we are following. This is the Lord of glory. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we need to be encouraged by the word of God concerning who we are following, who we are following and who we are to fix our eyes upon you see, Scripture makes it really clear, and I mentioned this many times, but there are the sufferings for the glories to follow. Let me share a few passages. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and Paul had this same viewpoint of Christ and understanding, and he focused on, on the things that were unseen rather than things that were seen. Now, things that are unseen are those things revealed in the Word of God, right? The Apostle Paul wasn't at this transfiguration, but he believed it, I believe, absolutely from the Word of God. And so here, Romans chapter, or excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter four, verse sixteen. I love this passage. He's talking about, hey, we're almost dying for you, Corinthians. You know, back chapter one, we were at the point of death that we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but the God who raises the dead, we're suffering, but all this almost dying is for you, and that Christ would be glorified and thanks would be brought to Him. And He says, therefore, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, the context, we always think of it as, our, as we're getting old and we're decaying, and yes, we are, I am. But this is decaying in the context of suffering physically, by the way. Our outer man is decaying, uh, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Right? How about Romans chapter 8, verse 16? Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, Romans 8, 16, that we are children of God. And if children also heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Amazing thought, by the way. And uh, if indeed, here's the key, Hey, you're only an heir if you're actually going to, if you're, if you're actually are truly saved, which is going to bring about suffering, by the way. And it says, if we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Wow, glorified with him. There's something going on here. Um, For I consider the present, the sufferings of this present time are not to be worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's future tense. Uh, how about First John chapter 3? See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. It all connects together. We're his children. We're, we're his. And we're on our way to glory. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet, has yet appeared what we shall be. 
hey, we aren't even looking the way we're going to look for eternity, right? It hasn't even appeared yet. And he says here, we, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. One last passage, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. This is, comes on the heels of the Apostle Paul sharing that he, he presses forward, not looking back, forgetting what lies behind, focusing on, on the upward call in Christ Jesus. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 17, and he gives the invitation to the brethren to join in the same. Brethren, join in following my example, Philippians 3.17, and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Hey, that's what you should be looking at. They, they, they're focusing on Christ. They're trusting in him uh, because there are a lot of people that don't, and they claim to, okay? For, he says here, for, he says, uh, for many walk of whom I've often told you, and now even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. That's the real definition of it. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory uh, by the exertion of the power which he has to even to subject all things to himself. And so these believers uh, have the Lord of glory transfigured in front of them. Tremendous. Transfigured in front of them. They saw him as he truly is and will be when he comes in his glory. Truly you will not die. There's some among you will not die until they see him coming in his glory. They're seeing a preview of Christ in his glory. You see, the Lord is transfigured, and he had to go through the sufferings for the glories to follow, and so do we. The glories are following for us in Christ. They are following, and we will be with him in glory also. Now notice, back in our passage, something happens. We've got Moses and Elijah appearing and talking to him, and I believe affirming, the te- testifying to his going to the cross. Uh, verse uh, 3, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, that's the three that are there, and who? what are they doing? Talking to him. Talking to him. That's Jesus. So we have a discussion going on between Moses, Elijah, and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're talking to him. And they appeared before these other, um, uh, these three uh, disciples. And so if you were a Jew, I think you might understand why these two specifically are appearing before him. You might understand that. You see, Moses was the human being that God used to bring forth his law and to deliver his people as a picture of redemption, right? We see that. And Elijah was the most prominent of the prophets. Very clearly, Scripture points to his prominence, saying that even John the Baptist, who was the greatest of men, would come in the spirit and power of Elijah, in a sense, convicting of sin, right? We see that. And so we have Moses and Elijah. We have, I believe, a visible representation of the law and the prophets uh, talking to the Lord Jesus Christ, Moses and Elijah. And it speaks of a continual habitual action or continual habitual talking. And we know from the book of Mark what they were talking about. 
They weren't just saying, hey, it's so cool to be back here and we're, check out Peter and James and John. They weren't saying that, right? It says they were speaking, Mark chapter 9, uh, verse, middle of verse or 30, 31, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That's amazing. Well, what's his departure he's about to accomplish? Look back in six, chapter 16 of, of Matthew, verse 21. From that time on, Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. He's talking with Moses and Elijah. Well, they're talking to him about his going to the cross. That's what they're talking about. You see, the reality is um, he had to go to the cross and that he would, that we would die for our sins and be raised. And Scripture points to that. Scripture points to what Moses brought forth in Spiritus, what the law brought forth, what the prophets shared, uh, Elijah being the pinnacle of those prophets, pointed to Jesus Christ, pointed to him. Luke chapter 24, as the Lord is risen from the dead and he is talking to those disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that what the prophets had spoken. This is Luke 24, now verse 26. He says, Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. You see, the scriptures testify of the sufferings first before the glory. So as he is showing a picture of his glory, they are talking to him about what must come first, which is his suffering before the glories to follow. And we see this in so many passages so he passed. I've already read in um, Isaiah 53 that he needed to die for us first. He needed to suffer. It says, surely our griefs he bore himself and our sorrows he carried. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. Isaiah 53, verse 6, all, or 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And you can just note these verses and look at them later, but 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets prophesied the grace that would come to you, made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what time the, or, or what person or time the Spirit of Christ was indicating within them as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Sufferings and glories to follow. The reality is that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, would be revealed in glory ultimately, but they were gaining a sneak peek, I believe, to encourage them. And Moses and Elijah were testifying to the purpose of what he had to do and before he would be glorified. So you might remember that Peter had missed it earlier. He didn't want Jesus to go to the cross, right? For, for, you know, and he saw him only humanly speaking, and he did, although he believed he was the Son of God. 
But here we have Christ in his glory being testified of by Moses and Elijah that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to accomplish salvation. And it's so important what they're speaking about, his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem, the sufferings for the glories to follow. And it's our Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ, whom we follow, the King of glory. Don't forget that uh, when you are denying yourself and taking up the cross and suffering for him, we are following the Lord of glory. And although our temporal future may look bleak and difficult, the same Lord of glory will glorify us by the execution of his power, as we saw in uh, Philippians Chapter 3, we'll be conformed to his glory. So, brother and sister, do you ever forget who you're following in a practical sense? I do. We need to see him as he really is. He is now the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. You see, for almost 33 years, people saw his humanity alone. But here we have three disciples uh, seeing him in a preview of his glory. It says, and he was transfigured before them, his face shone the sun, and his garments became white as light. This is a preview of him coming in glory, by the way. You can turn to Matthew chapter 24 and 25. We have some uh, declarations concerning what that will be like when he does come in his glory. Now, we know Christ is going to come for us, the church. He's going to take us to be with him, and we will be changed in that moment. We'll be, we'll be changed. We will be uh, with our loved ones forever and with him forever. But he's going to come back in glory to judge, as we're going to see, and to rightfully take back his kingdom. And that's what this is talking about, coming back in glory. So we have here uh, Matthew 24, verse 29. Take a look at that. 24, 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Okay. Down a little farther, Matthew twenty-five thirty-one. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory... All the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And here, to encourage these uh, apostles, I believe, they get a sneak peek at his majestic glory. But that's not everything in this passage, by the way. That's not everything. You know, the reality is, when we're in difficulty, we need to endure. And certainly knowing and, and, and seeing him as he is, is a great encouragement to endure. But there's also much more to this passage. There's also much more, because we have a listening problem at times. And so let's keep reading here. Back to our passage. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, is, or excuse me, look at verse 4, how Peter responds. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord... This is as the Lord was glorified. It is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And it says, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces, faces, and were much afraid. 
So here we have Peter's response to God, uh, the Lord Jesus being glorified. And so he says, uh, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> and he's learned something, by the way. He was demanding before, forbid you go to the cross. Now he says, Lord, if you wish. He's learning, right? Okay. He says, if you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here for you. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and then obviously one for you. And so this point, I think some might think Peter's completely lost it, but I don't totally think so. I mean, if you think about it and you understand this time, this the timing was probably close to the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, and those booths were prescribed in Leviticus 23, a seven-day feast that commemorated the, 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 the Israelites' exodus from Egypt, okay? Their deliverance, okay? And it was a feast that commemorated that and their wilderness wanderings. And they would build those booths. And evidently, he's saying, hey, let's commemorate, let's do that for you three, but yet, we're going to see the text reveals Peter didn't know what he was saying. He didn't know what he was saying. Uh, we're going to see that. Look at uh, Luke chapter 9.33. Luke 9.33. And it came about when, as these were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah not realizing what he was saying. The text literally says he didn't know what he was saying. He didn't know what he was saying. He's saying, hey, let's make these tabernacles. Well, there's some good advice for us. We can learn from this, and a word of advice for all of us, don't speak if you don't know what you're saying, right? He didn't know what he was saying. He didn't understand it. And we're going to see that God cuts him off right in the middle of the statement because he is, in essence, kind of putting them on an equal footing, in a sense, at this point. And he's, I don't believe he believes that he knows that Jesus is, is the Christ, but in the moment, he's seeing the whole event as the whole event rather than what needs to be seen. What needs to be seen. Notice what happens here. Verse 5, while he was still speaking, he's in the middle of saying, let's make these tabernacles for you, you, and you, Right? And he doesn't know what he's saying. In the middle of that, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Peter wasn't even given the opportunity to finish what he didn't know what he was saying, right? And God intervenes. And, and Matthew says, behold, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed. This is serious. It overshadowed them. And behold, again, out of the, a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen, it's emphatic. Listen to him. That's the lesson. It's about Jesus. You know, we can get so sidetracked on theology and good things in theology. We can be focused on the things of Moses and Elijah, but they point to Jesus. Listen to him. Listen to him. Luke chapter 9, uh, 34. And while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them. And they were afraid, Luke 9, 34, as they entered the cloud. It's a fearful thing, okay? Now, evidently they weren't fearful when they saw Jesus. Uh, you know, they were, they were comfortable with him in his glorified state. The Lord Jesus, they've been with him. They know him, right? But now this cloud envelops them and they are afraid, says back in our passage, when, they, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. Much afraid. And what did they hear? The statement, 
out of the cloud. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. You see, God is well pleased with Jesus, and that's why we can't please him apart from faith. That's why apart from Jesus we can do nothing. And when we abide in Jesus Christ and we allow him to graciously live his life through us, God is pleased because he's pleased with Jesus. So we need to listen to him. We need to listen to him. The term listen here is synonymous with the context of obeying what you hear. Don't just listen, but do what you hear. Do what you hear. And again, this affirms the person of Jesus as the Christ, his beloved son, the son of God, God the son with whom he is well pleased. That is whom our focus should be on. So who are you listening to? Who are you listening and obeying? You know, sometimes we're not listening. You know, the Lord says, here's how we should interact with one another, but we don't listen. Here's how we should serve, but we don't listen. Here's how we should resolve difficulty, but we don't listen. We need to listen to him. We need to listen to him. So let me ask you, are you listening? Are you obeying him? You see, if you turn your ear away from the word, that means there's something really wrong. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9. He who turns his ear away from listening to the law, and that means hearing it and doing it, even his prayer is an abomination. You see, we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Fix our eyes on Jesus through the word of God by faith and obey. Listen, he's speaking to us by his spirit through his word. He is directing us, instructing us, correcting us. Uh, he's, he's training us through the word of God. You see, that's the Christian life, listening and obeying Jesus. Listen to me. What about Matthew 28, the Great Commission? And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all, he says, all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you um, always, even to the end of the age. We are disciples learning to obey everything Jesus said. That's what we're doing. We're getting taught to do so. Are you listening to him? You know, Sunday's not enough. Wednesday's not enough. We need to be listening to him through his word. We need to allow the word to transfigure our minds, to transform our minds that we're not conformed to this world because we begin to think like the world. We begin to think along in accordance with our own desires. That's worldly thinking. What I want to do, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but it's my desire instead of what his desire is for me. You see, every problem we have in this life comes from comes apart from following Christ, except for those that we have when we suffer for him, which will be which will be rewarded for. We need to keep our focus and our eyes on Christ through his word. And if you do so, you're blessed. How blessed is the man, Psalm 1, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. How about Joshua chapter 1? Turn to Joshua chapter 1. But these things focus to the Lord that we're following. It's him that we're to listen to. We're to listen to Jesus. It's not simply Bible verses on cards and praise the Lord for being able to write it down and to have those, but it's Jesus speaking through his word to us by his spirit. Listen to him. Joshua 1, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. 
For you shall give this people the possession of the land, which I swore to the fathers to give them. Only be strong and very, and very courageous. Be careful to do all that is according to the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it from the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. Don't turn away and do things your way. <laughs> we have decisions every day to do it our way or his way, right? He says, don't turn away from it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you'll be careful to do all to do. It's doing right according to all that is written, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Listen to him. You listen to him. He's with you. Now, we know he'll never leave us nor forsake us, but sometimes he's not with us. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord doesn't hear. He's not with me when I'm deciding to sin. He is with us when we are listening to him and obeying him. He's with us. You see, the word is what God uses to equip us, as we see in 2 Timothy, for every good work. Now, what's interesting is we have this tremendous uh, declaration of his majesty, right? But even Peter, on his deathbed, would say, hey, I saw that, what we're looking at here. But I'll tell you what's even more important. Turn to 2 Peter again, 2 Peter. He's going to say, hey, we had this experience, and it was quite a doozy. But let me tell you, let me tell you. First, Second Peter, excuse me, Second Peter, chapter one, verse sixteen. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales. Hey, we weren't following some slick stories uh, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice this: we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. That's what we saw, right? For when he received honor and glory from the Father, such an utterance was as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Then you know, look in verse 18. And we ourselves heard the utterance made from heaven, and we were with him when we were with him on the holy mountain. And now notice what he says. Hey, we saw this. But they just say, we have something that is more sure than that. He says... And so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, no prophecy of scripture, written word, graphe, is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. We saw the declaration of his majestic glory, but we have the prophetic word made more sure. Listen to him. Listen to him. Tremendous lessons here we have in this passage. Okay, notice the Lord is so gracious in the midst of this. Back to our passage. How does he respond here as they're, they're, they're cowering and fearful? Notice verse 7 in, in chapter uh, 17. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. They were fearful with that declaration, the cloud and the, and the voice coming from heaven. He said, Arise and notice who's there. It's just Jesus. It's all about him. Listen to him. You see, rather than fearing and being afraid, 
listen to Jesus. Listen to him. And lifting their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You see, and guess what? They were given a command here. And when they were coming down from the mountain, verse 9, Jesus commanded them. Now he's giving, he's telling them to, to listen and do what he says. Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Hey, God keeps secrets here. Don't tell anybody, right? Don't tell anybody until this time. And guess what? They, they were obedient. Look at uh, Mark, or let's look at Luke chapter 9, 36. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and reported no one that they, to, to no one in these days any of the things which they had seen. They obeyed. Isn't that great? They didn't go out and share it. They obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the Lord. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 9, I'll read this. And when they came down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man should rise from the dead. And they seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead might mean. They were seizing upon his words. We should be seizing upon his words also. Are you listening? Are you listening? You know, we go through difficult times. We go through difficult times for following Jesus. And they might be relationally, they might be at work, they might be in the world, at church, whatever it might be. And it can be discouraging as we suffer for doing what is right. But we need to remember the Jesus we're following. We're following the Lord of glory and we'll be glorified with him someday. So until that day comes, what are we to do? Listen to him. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, I do just thank you for this preview of the glory of your son. And I thank you for your declaration that he is your beloved son and you're well pleased with him and that we should listen to him. Lord, uh, I pray for anyone here who has not listened to the gospel, who has not uh, responded to the declaration that they are to repent and believe in Jesus. I pray they would. And Lord, for those of us, we want to listen, but we fail so often. Help us to hear the word applied rightly to our circumstances, to listen to your son through his word that we would obey, that we would obey. And help us to be encouraged and fix our eyes on Jesus and realize who we are truly following. Lord, thank you for your son Jesus. In, this, in his name we pray. Amen.